Welcome, adventurers. This is MuseCast 14, your podcast for everything roleplay in the world of Eorzea. I'm your co-host, Emmy, And I'm your co-host, Remix Sakura. And over the course of our show, I'm sure you've heard of some of our characters that we play. People like Scoot, Nanamo, Melvib, Natsuki, and Ruruhi. Well, today we'd like to talk about all those characters and what we'd like to refer to as altaholism, which is really creating all these different characters and trying to play them and balance them out in our Final Fantasy XIV experience. Yes, indeed. You could say that altaholism is a phenomenon, a plague even, within the roleplay community, and that's because... Characters and muses are like potato chips. You can never have just one. And it may seem strange to the FF14 player who's just here to play the video game, raid, get their achievements. Why would you want to start all over with a second character? Or a third character? Or a fourth character? Or a 24th character? (laughs) When technically everything is doable on a single character. Well, we're here to find out why people do this, and not just role players. But I think it's especially prevalent in this community because it's the best way to live out an in-game experience if you make up another original character other than your main. That's right. When you create an alt, in a roleplay context anyway, you give your character a different personality, a different backstory that in some cases varies largely from whatever your main character might be. And as a result, you end up with this character who views the world through a different perspective and experiences different things as their story progresses. As a result, I think it's very tempting to try and look at Eorzea through a different viewpoint. For sure, for sure. I think any role player would say that it's about more than just playing the video game. It's also about having an emotional experience through their character's viewpoint. So if you go through the game with a different character, you will have a different viewpoint. Sometimes, quite literally, for example, the Lalafell viewpoint near the floor versus the Rugadin viewpoint from way up high. I've actually noticed that cutscenes look different depending on your character model due to extreme height differences. Oh, they do? Yeah. <laughs> I had never known that. This is what I get for only playing Lollafells. I mean, I know I know when you play the game, you certainly get a different perspective, like in combat. But I didn't know that was also the case for cutscenes. That's kind of cool. Yeah. <laughs> and me personally, I focus on four characters, three of which have a roleplay personality. And they're all different races. Lollafell, Rugadin, Makode, and Highlander here. But interestingly... In all the time that I've played FF14, which is over three years, none of these characters have ever used a Fantasia. Why do you think that might have been? Well, someone is tempted to use a Fantasia when they want to have a different experience with their character. They want to look different and they want to feel different. But for me, there's no need because I split my time between these different characters. That's how I get my variety in. I can have my handsome, dapper male Mikode main, and if I want a cute girl outfit... I'll go to my sexy female Highlander, and I mean, everyone wants to be a cute Lollafell sometimes. How about all the time? (laughs) (laughs) So basically, instead of using a Fantasia, I can just switch a character, and I don't feel that stagnation, that need for change, really. Yeah, I guess if you're a Fantasia-aholic, that would sort of help, because you aren't spending $10 a month (laughs) trying to change your character, not $10 a month, you know, $10 a Fantasia, it could be even more per month. Exactly. So there's a lot of reasons why people might choose to start an alternate character. One of the most popular ones is to roleplay with a different original character, or NPC character. Yeah, and I guess this kind of can apply to a general sense too, but a lot of why I decided to make an alt in the first place, how I got started with making a whole bunch of alts, was because I had people who wanted to roleplay with me and I wanted to roleplay with them. So... Sometimes you have people who have invested so much time in building bonds and getting gear on other servers, and they don't really want to make another character. But in the case of me, I was willing to go ahead and make another character. It wouldn't be quite as high-leveled, but I could make a low-level character for the sole purpose of role-playing with these potential friends. So I think that's definitely a reason to make another character. 
And if you wanted to, for example, raid with other people on other servers, or if you wanted to just socialize, have events, join in on events with other people on other servers, it really sometimes doesn't make sense to just hop servers every so often to really start again. Start new and make new friends on that server and then leave and leave those people behind. I personally just don't think that makes a whole lot of sense. So if you want to start role-playing, especially with other people on other servers, alts are a great choice. Yeah, yeah. A big reason why people, for role-play or not, choose to make an alt is so that they can play on a different server with a different group of friends or a different community. And I would say that there are advantages and disadvantages to making your second character, let's say, on the same server as your main and on a different server. For example, your main character will probably have a lot of resources. A house, a free company, money, maybe even crafting skills. So for a while, I had my alt remix Sakura on the same server as my main, Natsuki McCatboy. And because Natsuki is a master crafter, remix had all the gear she could ever want HQ all the time while she was leveling. He could give her money. He was basically like a sugar daddy. <laughs> you were your own sugar daddy. Yeah, yeah. That's so weird to say. I feel I feel lewd for saying that. <laughs> <laughs> it's more like they're like siblings, though, because it's like they're both my children. <laughs> so that's one advantage. But on the other hand, I didn't get to play with a different group of people. It was the same free company. I would pass things in the free company chest. So that's one potential downside. When I actually decided to move Remix to the Excalibur server, the main motivation was because I wanted to have something on the primal data center. And now that we have Crossover Party Finder, it feels a lot more united, but I didn't have anything on Primal Data Center that could really even do any instances. But now I can at least do level 50 stuff with some folks, either on Aether or on Primal or on Chaos, really. <laughs> yeah. Another thing that's very good about potentially putting an alt on another server is that when you transfer an alt to another server, or when you initially create your alt on that other server, that server has its own unique feel. Whereas you get pretty much the same server atmosphere on wherever your main was. So for example, one reason why I enjoy having Lich Nonimo so much is because Lich is a lot less crowded, especially during the times of the day where we happen to be awake. So on the times that I feel overwhelmed on Scoot, with the amount of attention that the character is getting, I can always just pop on to Lich and things will be a whole lot more laid back. So it's a good way to sort of kick back and relax. Or maybe your main is on another server that is less populated and you want to go somewhere with more people. Well, you can always have an alt and just head over there and experience that for a while. And then once you're ready to go back to your main server, you can. Uh-huh. So I guess a lot of these pros do apply to role-playing as a whole. But I know a lot of people who also decide that they want to make alts to raid. There are some role players who also decide that they want to raid. And I know that people on especially Gilgamesh and more raiding-centric servers often use an alt for raiding so that they can be part of different statics. And then they don't have to deal with any of the loot restrictions for that static. Remember, when the creator was a thing... The number of times that you would clear a floor on a certain character would determine the amount of loot that the entire party would get. So if you have an alt that you want to use for raiding as well as roleplay, you can then join a static, and if you haven't cleared a floor on that character, then you still end up with two chests potentially. The other thing about raiding is that when you have a second character, they have their own tombstone allowance. So you can max out your lore, your scripture, your poetics, whatever tombstones happen to be relevant at the time. That means that you can fully gear up two different jobs to best in slot at once, instead of having to wait and wait and wait and wait to properly gear up a second job. Yeah, yeah. I also know some folks on Gilgamesh who've done the same thing. But whether for rating or roleplay or both, a big reason also to create an alt and actually start the game all over again is it's the only way to truly re-experience the story. And even Yoshi P said this in a recent interview. Yeah, that's so right. When you replay the story again, there are some things that you would not be able to experience 
if you were just on your first character and trying to re-experience the scenario as best you could. For example, there are a lot of details that are said that are not in the cutscenes. Things like when you initially get a quest, or when you talk to somebody for a side quest and you want to get a reward. They might give some information about the world that you would not be able to see if you just went to your FC house or your personal house or you went to an in room and just went to the unending journey, I think it's called. Wherever uh -huh. you wherever you can replay the cutscenes. You would not be able to get that if you were trying to re-experience, so to speak, the main scenario on your main character. Really the only way to get all that information is just to replay the game. Yeah, this is very true. And for someone that's on their fourth replay, let me tell you, there's so much detail and feeling that you cannot get by rewatching cutscenes. Whether it's a lore tidbit in an item description or just a funny, amusing line that you skipped past the first time that just makes you chuckle. There's so much in dialogue, even in quest descriptions. There's so much rich text that people just breeze through because they want to play the video game. And to say that you can re-experience the story by watching cutscenes, that's like an extreme Cliff Notes version. You wouldn't tell someone that really, really likes, let's say, a well-known novel to just read Cliff Notes to re-experience it. That's just, yeah, it's the most basic overall facts. But if you're really, really into the story of FF14, a replay is worth doing definitely at least once. And to me, every one of my replays has been worth it in some way. In fact, that's the entire reason behind the story time stream that I do on Sundays on Twitch. Basically, I knew that I was going to replay the story for myself, for my own reasons, and I decided to share it with everybody. But I haven't gotten sick of it yet. <laughs> I would say on the fourth time, I am getting a little bit impatient. <laughs> but there's so many little things that I've noticed on every replay that I really feel like it's worth it just for me because that's my thing. And I get to level up characters on different servers, different data centers. Right now I've got three characters at least up to level 50. And if you really take it slow the second, third time around, I think you'll find that it's worth it too. I would actually argue that if you're playing for the second time or the third time or however much it is, I think the dynamic between like seeing the cutscenes after having finished a dungeon sort of gives a different feeling from watching just a cutscene in your room. You don't really have as much of that sense of accomplishment of like, yes, I did this and, you know, I've, I've saved Eorzea or I've helped out a certain character. You don't get those instances. And so I think that sort of adds to like a certain feeling that you just can't really recreate unless you replay the main scenario over. Yeah, unless you're really doing the quest and doing that story arc, it doesn't really feel like you just beat that monster or you just accomplished this. You're just looking at photos of it. But if you're really doing the whole thing over, you're really in the moment. You may not be surprised the second time around, you know what's going to happen, mm -hmm. but you'll probably look at it differently and have different emotions. And at the very least, you're going through it as a different character that has their own unique perspectives on it. Right. And I think that really can affect how you view a scene. Exactly. There are people that reread the same books over and over, rewatch the same movies. I feel like this is much the same. Sure, it takes a lot more time. <laughs> it's on the scale of rereading maybe not a single book, but an entire book series. But if you really love it, you'll get something new out of every reread and replay. Mm -hmm. Now, for the technical details of actually leveling and doing roulettes and things, I want to go over that too. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, man. Actually going yeah. through all of that story again and all the fetch quests, right? That's such a drag sometimes. Yeah, there are ways to optimize it. We're going to give some pro tips. I will say that your second replay is going to be way easier and faster than your first, just because you're used to the game, you're used to the way the game works, and you know how to optimize things properly. I know for sure when I first started the game, 
Being a total MMO newbie, I really did not know how things worked to an embarrassing level. Oh man, <laughs> no, 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 no. You have no idea how much I did not know about MMOs or anything. Oh man, let's let's share then. Okay, you, you go first. I didn't know what roulettes were. I never did my roulettes. Mm-hmm. I heard people talking about dailies, but I didn't know what they were. I leveled up everything through fate grinding because I only knew that fates existed. I didn't know that you could replay a dungeon after you did it once. It was that bad. Oh, man. I thought that rested EXP would automatically give you EXP if you sat in a sanctuary. And I would be confused because my friends would talk about rested EXP and then I would log in again. And I'm like, I don't have any more EXP. I thought I would get free EXP while I was logged out. But it's like a rate that you increase, really? It's what rested experience does. Yeah. It's a bonus for the next time you gain EXP, but only through battle. I didn't know about roulettes much either. Largely because I went through the game mostly solo. But I think because of that, that's what led me to my worst possible moment. Most embarrassing moment I've ever had on Final Fantasy XIV. That is, running Desmail Darkhold, dying a whole lot, not realizing at all why I was dying so quickly, so suddenly, and then realizing that my gear was healer gear because I didn't know what the stats did. <laughs> Any of the stats. And so that was how I learned the hard way about vitality and strength and things like that. I thankfully did not level up all of my characters or my one class, I guess, through fate grinding. But that was because I just did a bunch of main scenario stuff. But we both were clueless. I think it yeah. goes to show. We yeah. both were entirely clueless about how to play MMOs and how to play like any of this. Yeah. So on your first playthrough is where you make all the mistakes and hopefully on the second you make a few less. <laughs> the second playthrough for me was very much streamlined. I was able to level up to level 50 and level 60 so much more quickly. Yeah, for sure. And as far as leveling more than one character at the same time, you could even say that's easier because they have different roulette allowances and different rested EXP pools. Whereas doing all the jobs at once, it's going to go a lot slower just because the game somewhat artificially restricts how fast you can level up. But I think because of that lack of newness, when you go through your second playthrough, your third playthrough, your fourth playthrough, the fetch quests don't seem new. And you know what's coming, and because you know what's coming, it just seems... Some parts of it, I'll say, seem to be a lot more boring. That grind, yeah. for example, to get to the next primal battle, like, you know what's coming next. You know you're fighting Garuda next, but you have to do all these fetch quests. Or, God forbid, where I am right now, which is the part between the end of 2.0... And Heaven's Word. It's like a hundred fetch quests that you have to do in order to finally get to the Heaven's Word content. Yeah. So let's go into the cons now. Some of the disadvantages and annoyances. I will definitely say that there are some parts of the story that are super great to play through. And there are some parts that I wish I could skip because they just drag. And actually, knowing what can happen next often feeds into that impatience because I'll get to a part and I'll be like, oh, I'm going to fight Shiva soon. I'm going to fight Garuda soon. And then you realize it's not that soon. You've got to do all this stuff before you can get to that exciting thing you know that's happening. On my fourth playthrough, I'm currently around the part where you do the uh, pre-Titan epic fetch quest of doom that they actually tell you in-game has no purpose, <laughs> like in the story. That's the worst part. <laughs> that's like That's like one of the worst... Yeah, all those fetch quest lines. Really, you and I both are stuck on some of the most frustrating parts, I think, at this point. Yeah, it just feels grindy. Sometimes I say that I main scenario grind. Yeah, it really is a grind in some places. And, I mean, yeah. if you're like me and you don't like to battle grind either, and you have to level up another character to get to certain areas, like for example, say you're an Ishgardian, and you really, really want to get to Ishgard so you can do some role plays over there. Well, you gotta go level up to level 60. Like, yes, it's faster, but because you have to level up another job, that can get annoying, and then sometimes you have to get certain skills that you can only get from cross-class abilities at the moment. Um, it does seem like the cross-class system may end up going away, but 
yeah, having to level up battle classes again, if you really don't want to level up battle classes again and you want to get just straight to role-playing, can be aggravating. Yeah, for sure. For example, I've been dying to get my Mroba alt, of course, to do Machinist, but I'm not in Ishgard yet, so I can't even unlock it. And part of me just wants to, like, power through 2.1 to 2.5 so I can get it. But then part of me is like, no, why would you rush through a replay? You're only going to be able to do this a limited number of times before you really, really have had enough. So take it slow. So there's that conflict. And yeah, so right now, Robob is a ninja because I need something to do before I get to Heaven's Word. And I also wanted to do the rogue quest line. So to unlock ninja, you have to level Pugilist to level 15. Okay, but Remix mains Monk. So she's already leveled Pugilist. So those 15 levels had to be done again. Okay. Getting to level 15 is relatively easy. It's not that much repeated stuff. But let's say I wanted to get Marwab the Ninja blood for blood. I've got a level Lancer to 34. Oh, but Remix also has Dragoon at 50 already. Do I want to do that much re-leveling? I mean, to 15 is one thing, but to 34? Just for one cross-class skill on a character I'm not even raiding on? It doesn't seem worth it. But then, you know, you're not getting the right rotation. And if I look up any kind of ninja guide, I'm not going to be able to follow it. So there's that conflict. And I do agree that it's really pointing to the end of the cross-class system, or at least some kind of modification that I hope makes this particular situation with alts easier. Yeah, I'm hoping that that's the case. Because, like, let's not even talk about quelling strikes. There's just so much re-leveling involved with some of these moves that especially if you want to do raiding or something like that with this roleplay alt or with whatever alt it happens to be, you gotta do it again. And that's frustrating in some cases. I mean, I know some people who are okay with it, with the grind, but personally, it's not for me. I don't like having to redo combat classes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's some stuff that isn't even fun the first time. And then you got to do it a second time. For example, I just got remixed to the point where she needs to do Aether Currents. And I'm like, really? Aether Currents again? Oh, man. When we were trying to get this house on Lich, I had to rush and rank up my grand company with her and do all this fate grinding to get all these seals. I mean, jeez. And you have to do that all again, you know? Yeah. So sometimes trying to level up that alt is not going to be very fun. Yeah, because it's more than just the physical level of your battle class. There's all these other things. And sometimes, like, in a roleplay scenario, a character might be designed to be a certain class. So if that character roleplays, then you may end up having to level up whatever class it might be. Yeah. Yeah, that's very true. Even before I started roleplaying, I definitely felt that my characters had personalities like Natsuki. I knew I wanted to main White Mage, and I enjoy playing the other Disciple of Magic jobs as well. And I think he works pretty well with Bard, but... I just can't picture him as a monk or a tank. It just feels wrong. And I actually have even tried to unlock those jobs. And I just don't enjoy it because knowing that character's personality, it just feels wrong. I even went when I got to Heaven's Word and was like, okay, this is silly. You want to do Machinist? Just go unlock Machinist. And then the second I saw him with his gun, I was like, no, I'm not doing this. I'll do it with another character. And that's a feeling that... Might be silly to some people, It was, but I feel like a role player would understand. I completely understand. I got two ends of the spectrum here. I've got Scoot, who was designed solely to be a tank, and I can't get my main to be any class other than a tank. Like, it just feels so completely wrong. And tank is like, I love playing as a paladin. It's so much fun. I will raid with paladin forever and ever. But on the other side of the spectrum, you have Nanamo, who would not be a tank. Like, she's, the way her character is, she's not built to be a tank. And so I had to think, okay, well, what other classes could Nanamo be? And eventually I decided, well, other than White Mage, because I need a White Mage glamour for her, for a Sultana outfit, I want her to main Bard. The reason why I chose Bard was because Nanamo's role in Uldan society is not necessarily one where she has a whole lot of direct power, but she has a lot of indirect influence on the people. And so just like Bard has influence on the party and assists the party in helping them to fight, that was why I chose Bard. But I decided that even though I don't really like Bard, I would go ahead and tolerate Bard and play as a Bard because that was what fit for that character. I hope that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. 
I like playing Bard, but I would say that definitely all my characters have jobs that are strongly associated with their personalities, for sure. Yeah. And it's hard to imagine them doing something else. I agree. Another thing that might be a little bit tough to have to level again would be something like crafting or gathering, I would imagine. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I actually recently started with Merlvib on Lich to re-level Crafters and Gathers. And this is after Natsuki is like a four-star, level 60, Disciple of the Hand and Land. Totally like crafting is his true endgame. And now I'm starting all the way from the beginning, which in some ways is kind of enjoyable. But that's because I'm crazy and I think crafting is inherently fun. <laughs> <laughs> the gathering, like, there's there's really nothing fun about it. There's nothing strategic or interesting. It's just, well, I need mats. Lich's economy sucks. <laughs> so let's get mats. Yeah. <laughs> And I want to be able to support our little free company with those skills. But man, like I put so much work into doing that for Natsuki and I have to start all over. Grinding and grinding and grinding, especially yeah. for those gatherers. Man, yeah. the gathering process, like I, I finished doing gatherers on Scoot not too long ago. That was a nightmare. I would not want to do that again. But in some cases, you may still want to level crafting or gathering well, maybe not want. You may have to <laughs> level crafting or gathering more than once. Yeah. And it is frustrating to go from being so self-sufficient as a crafter and gatherer to having to buy everything on the market board overpriced. You know, rotations are different at low levels and high levels. I mean, low level crafting is not bad, but I'm like, where's my buyer God's blessing? Oh my God. <laughs> not having hasty touch from the word go yeah. makes things very yeah. difficult. It's like very, very difficult, like almost impossible to high quality everything until you get waste not, hasty touch, and careful synthesis. I think Bire God's Blessing is actually very useful too. Yeah. We could definitely turn this into a large crafting tangent, but we're not going to. <laughs> Making it crafting alt 101. <laughs> yeah. And also, as far as story replays, I would not say that there's much worth doing in the job quest lines. Like, they're okay. But they're really not worth redoing in and of themselves. I wouldn't say that they're bad, but they're not engaging enough in and of themselves to make crafting and gathering like worth it. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> Unless you have this reason, such as your other free company needs the help. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and other than leveling for your battle and crafter and gatherer classes, there's the old gear grind. For example, I've got Remix. She has Warrior and Dark Knight. And Ruhi is a paladin. And let's say I get Remix a whole set of Tomestone Fending Gear. Well, if I also want one for Ruhi, that's more Tome Grind. Those Tome Grinds can be very, very time-consuming, I found. And the more alts that you have, the longer it's going to take and the more difficult it is to try and keep every one of your alts up to whatever best-in-slot standard it might be, or up to an acceptable standard where you can continue to progress on main scenario and things like that. What I found is, from my own experience, because I want to raid on a character and because I want to roleplay on other characters, it's left a lot of my alts unplayed, where I would like to play on them, but because they're undergeared and because I can't keep up with them, I often think, well, what's the point in really progressing with those characters because it's going to take forever to get them up to where they need to be anyway. Yeah, and unfortunately gear is always going out of date, so sometimes it doesn't feel worth it. You know, just wait for the next patch and wait for the next item level jump. So it can be fairly easy to lose motivation the more alts you have to keep all of those alts up to date with everything. Yeah, I mean, you might have two different allowances for expert roulette in a day, but I find it hard to motivate myself to do expert even once a day. I could not imagine it doing it more than once a day. <laughs> I agree. Most days I don't do it. <laughs> well, nowadays we haven't had new dungeons in a while and expert roulette used to be three dungeons. And now that it's two, it just feels like so much of the same thing over and over. Yeah. And that was, that's even on one character I've experienced that. Yeah. Like, I don't have Expert Unlocked on any of my other characters. It's just my main. And people ask me, do you want to do Expert Roulette? And I'm usually like, no, because I know what the dungeons are going to be like. 
I know the mechanics, and I don't really want to do that because there's not really much I can gain out of it. So where's the point? So having to do those dungeons again and again on multiple characters, if you do it, I salute you. Yeah, but what ends up usually happening is that your main gets the focus and the others, their gear falls behind. Yeah. I mean, there are always ways to catch up. For example, your Nanamo on Lich can only do probably like Zelfatol right now. Mm. Not the newer dungeons, but you could get drops in those older dungeons that would at least give you an upgrade to at least go to the next level. There's always ways to go up a little bit, a little bit, even if it's just through dungeon drops. Well, let me tell you a story, actually, about the lovely people on Lich. I'm going to give Lich another shout out here. Woo! Lich and its lovely roleplay community. So they found out that I was trying to get to work on my main scenario, and I was undergeared. And so what they did was they made me pretty much a full set of 250 gear. But not everybody has that, that luxury. I would imagine. And so... For sure. So, like, yes, I got lucky in this case, and I'm very thankful for what they did. And I guess it would be possible for people to make you gear. Don't count on it. Now let's talk about some unfortunate technical restrictions posed by Square Enix on accounts with multiple characters. Well, more like a financial restriction on your wallet. <laughs> <laughs> so the most basic subscription price is twelve ninety nine. And that gets you one character per server up to eight characters total. Right. So if you wanted to make an alt character on the same server, though, you couldn't do that on your basic subscription, right? So say I had a character that was on Gilgamesh and I wanted to make a second character on Gilgamesh. What would I have to do to be able to get that? You have to upgrade to the standard subscription, which is probably what most people have, which is fourteen ninety nine not counting the discount for paying for multiple months at a time. Okay. And then that would get me what? Up to eight characters per server. As far as the real hard limit on total characters, the Square Enix site says that it's 40, but the biggest altaholic we know, Safest Sephiroth from Balmung, insists that it's 64. If it is actually 64... Whenever that day comes and he hits 64 characters and wants to make a 65th. Yeah. I can't yeah. imagine managing all those characters, though. <laughs> but maybe there's a need for it. I don't know. I think most of them are just roleplay characters. Yeah. You know, you just need that different character model. Yeah, but the moment that you want to make a second character on a different server, your cost will go up two bucks per month. And then another thing that you would have to pay for is, like, if you wanted Mog Station emotes... Or really anything from the Mog Station that was not account-wide, you would have to go rebuy those. Yeah, and that includes any seasonal event rewards. They are not shared across your account. And when there's a seasonal event, basically everyone I know with alts has to make sure that they do the seasonal event within the time limit on all the characters. <laughs> yeah, I missed the last event that happened. Hatching Tide? I had an internet yep. outage all that week. And so I could not do Hatching Tide on all but, I think, one or two of my characters. I think two of the characters got them out, and I didn't get to get the wallpaper on any of them because I figured, oh, I'll do it on the last day of the event. Well, that was fine, were it not for the fact that my internet was out all week. Yeah, right? Whereas I had to go through the whole quest line four times before the event period was over. And at the same time, if you make a brand new character they're not going to have the seasonal event rewards from previous years. For example, my newer characters don't have the bomb dance, don't have the huzzah emote, things that were only available in previous Moonfire Fairs. So I basically just have to wait for a year to pass when they're available on the Mog Station and pay for them. And some of those emotes are pretty expensive. Like a lot of the new dances, for example, the uh, Eastern dance, that's like $7, right? And because it's single character only, you then have to buy it for however many alts you want to use it on. Yeah. So if you're like me and you have, you know, nine different Nanamos now, you sort of have to pick and choose which ones you want and figure out how much is it worth it to buy this emote. Yeah, managing a lot of alts can get expensive because sometimes you really want these outfits or these emotes because it relates to that character. When Saferoth was writing into us, he noted things like the Eastern Dance and the Far Eastern Greeting emotes 
for Doman characters. That's going to be important to their character to interact with that emote. You got more than one Doman character, shell out cash all over again. Even mounts. Not all of them are account wide. I bought the Sleipnir and that's on everybody, but only my main has the Red Baron, the Red Magitek armor. But on the other hand, your veteran rewards are account wide. So at least if you were today to make a level one ult, they would come with a few glamour options and... Some minions, some mounts, things like that, that could help yeah. you out. Or like the, the free yeah. Aetherite tickets. Those can help you out when you're getting started too. Yeah, though depending on how long you've been playing and how many veteran rewards you have, you're going to create this character and your Moogle mailbox is going to be full and you're going to have to refresh it a few times to get all your stuff. Yeah, that's true. That's, <laughs> that's happened to me. That's happened to me too at this point where I've gotten to around like 24 letters in my mailbox because of that and recruit a friend. Those will yeah. all come into your mailbox too. Your mailbox might be very full when you log on. Now that said, I think alts still are a very good option to have if you want to go and play through the game with a different perspective, if you want to roleplay as a different character. But we had somebody who wrote in with a reason, or rather a few reasons, that somebody might create an alt who doesn't roleplay. So we had somebody who has been on the show, actually. Has he been on the show? No, we were on we've his been show. On his, we've been on his show. <laughs> So Vegan Pete shared his thoughts with us, even though he isn't a role player, why he ended up creating a couple of alts. And for him, it was about the story mainly, because when he started playing, he felt the need and the pressure to catch up to his partner, Avi, and ended up skipping a lot of cutscenes. Now, even if you're not literally skipping a cutscene, like pressing escape, a lot of people might also feel this pressure when they're new and the game's already been around for so long. They want to get to endgame so they can do things with their friends. So they rush through. You're doing a quest dialogue and you just keep clicking and clicking and clicking and clicking like, yeah, 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 whatever. Just let me f continue with the quest, not reading anything. And it's unfortunate that that pressure exists, but it's real and it's fair. He came into FF14 not having experience with the Final Fantasy franchise. And Final Fantasy tends to have very good world building. Yeah, the story is really what draws people in. They have a unique way of telling stories, and they put a lot of attention into them. People are playing this, we hope, for more than just the video game. So Pete came from an MMO background where the other games had stories that were pretty forgettable. So maybe he wasn't thinking that he was missing anything special by rushing through the storyline. And even though I personally came into it with a long Final Fantasy background, again, on my first playthrough, all of 2.0 was really draggy. It takes a while to ramp up. So even I was rushing through a few things. So on his second replay, he said that he's been taking things more slowly and he has a much better grasp of just what happened in the story so far. There were things that he was hazy about that he has a better understanding of. And again, it's that perspective of you already know what's gonna happen, so you look at it differently. That said, he also specifically pointed out the pre-Titan Company of Heroes quest line as a place that really drags, and also the pre-Garuda part. It seems like everywhere you go, you get to a new zone and you have to convince the people there to trust you by doing 100 fetch quests. It's so much filler. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a trope that I hope does not continue into Stormblood, but it probably will. <laughs> yeah, no, I wouldn't be surprised if that were the case. Yeah, and even though he's not a role player, he imagines that a replay would be worth it, for a role player to get a clearer idea of the Rebelborn storyline because, again, you don't have to be exactly a lore nerd, but it helps that everybody has the same understanding of the story so that we can play in a common world. You don't want to get basic facts wrong about past events. And Pete also mentioned that some folks in their free company on Adamantoys also have done the same, whereas they straight up skipped cutscenes the first time, just weren't even paying attention at all. They're making alts to play along with those same alts so they can sort of do content together and are enjoying it and having a good time. There are many reasons for any kind of player to do this, but more reasons, I feel, if you're a role player. I agree. And I think because so many people skip cutscenes, like I'm looking at you, everybody who skipped in the Praetorium, everybody who skipped in, in Castrum, all those cutscenes... 
Like yeah. if you if you go through it again, role player or not, and you experience those things that you've skipped for the first time, Pete was saying they loved what they've seen. So I think there's a good amount of value in just going through and replaying what you might have missed. For sure. Now, since we are experienced altaholics, we want to give some pro tips if you want to take the plunge and create character number two if you've never played an alt before. It is possible to enjoy your play experience when you're shifting between characters. Now, when you first create your little level one baby, if you've got veteran rewards, you'll have a couple of options for glamour, but if those options don't really work for you, they don't really fit your character, I would say that being low level is no excuse to ignore glamour. You will still be held accountable by the fashion police, especially if you're a role player and it's part of your character's personality and presentation. There are plenty of level one gear options to get a few simple in-character outfits. I think in some situations, you might be able to get away with just using the default gear, but I agree that with some character portrayals, it might be best to go ahead and try and get some sort of simple outfit together. Yeah, you want to stay in character. Now, once you get a little farther, let's assume that you do want to eventually get this character current with the main scenario, with the endgame. A mistake I always make every time, is falling behind on the main scenario quests. Remember, the main scenario unlocks everything else. Don't get too obsessed with re-leveling and keep the side quests under control. Or before you know it, you'll be level 50 and your main scenario will be at level 20. <laughs> if I could do that with all the side quests in Wuda, I would. I oh. would easily make that mistake. Let me tell you about another stupid newbie story from my first playthrough. I was level 27 mm -hmm. and I went to a photo shoot with my first free company. And at one point, the person directing everybody says, get on your chocobos. Oh, you didn't have And one? I'm like, I don't have a chocobo. They're like, why not? You should have gotten that at like level 20. I'm like, oh, look, I never did that part of the main scenario where you get a chocobo. I've been sprinting around the world without a mount oh, no. all this time. <laughs> I was very embarrassed. And he immediately went to catch up. I mean, with that said, you don't have to keep up with everything all the time. You don't necessarily have to have the best gear all the time. Especially if you've like done it on your main already. If you want to go ahead and play cutting edge stuff, go play your main. The alt... I think, at least, is where you have the opportunity to take it slow. So why not do it? You know, go ahead, read all the quest dialogue. Talk to every NPC at least once. Sometimes you might find that they change what they say depending on what you've done already, where you are in the main scenario. So go ahead, you know, take your time. Go explore. Yeah, I definitely agree. There is always this pressure from your friends, from the rest of the community, to do that current stuff whenever there's a new patch. It's all about doing that bleeding edge stuff. So if a new patch comes out and you're really excited for the new stuff, maybe your alts won't get much attention for a week or two. And that's okay. You have your main so that you can get excited about that new stuff. But you shouldn't feel that kind of social pressure to keep up with all your friends on your alt. They know that you're going at your own pace and it might take you months, more than a year to catch up. And it's totally okay because you're doing it for you. Unless you've got that pressure to raid with an alt or anything else, really relax and take it easy because there are so many hidden gems and Easter eggs. And let's say your second character, you do have this pressure, you need it for raiding, maybe do a third playthrough. That's just for you. It can happen. <laughs> yeah. I guess while you're leveling up your character, if you really want to progress super quickly, if you do hit level 50 when you've just hit 50 and you happen to have a friend who's a crafter, one of the best things that you can do is have them craft some I-115 gear or just buy it from vendors or have them buy it from vendors even and have them mail it over or trade it to you. That'll give you a good head start on some of the, you know, level 50 filler content up to heaven's word. And meanwhile, you can continue to level your character through the main scenario. Yeah, this is exactly what happened on Lich. When I got Merle Whip to level 50, I'm like, Emmy, can you buy me some white gear from Ishgard? <laughs> and I was like, sure. So I, I went to Ishgard and just bought her a whole bunch of, what was it, ninja gear. Ninja gear. Yeah, I bought a whole bunch of ninja gear and and just traded it over. Yeah. I can't physically go to Ishgard and go to those vendors, but there's no reason 
why she couldn't send me the items. And that way I'm I-115 and I can get through any 2.x content that I need to for the main scenario. Maybe I'm not going to be passing Final Coil just yet, but it's not like we're still raiding in Final Coil, so there's not this pressure. And really, by the time that you're done with all the main scenarios step up to Heavensward, you really should be maybe level 52, level 53. Yeah. And that'll be enough to go buy more gear for you in the Heavensward areas. So once you hit 50, assuming you have actually purchased Heavensward and it's added to your account, you will continue to gain EXP. Probably most people already own Heavensward, but just as a note, if you haven't actually bought the license for the game, you cannot actually get beyond level 50. You will stop earning EXP. But assuming you have, you'll continue to go up to level 51, 52 maybe. But what I've noticed is that the EXP you earn from a Realbaborn content is just exponentially smaller. So the level 50 dungeons weren't actually originally intended to earn you EXP. They were just for endgame. So they retroactively added EXP to them, but it's not very much. For example, when my monk was level 53, I joined in for a level 50 roulette. And normally you do a roulette, you notice at least a good jump on the EXP progression on your bar. But even though I was level 53, I hardly noticed a difference after I did that roulette. And I think it's just because the number values assigned to the EXP for level 50 content is just not enough because the EXP you need to progress beyond 50 is just exponentially higher. So once you hit 50, pretty much assume that you'll get a little bit more EXP, but it's very, very hard to get past level 52. You'll probably just plateau until you start to get into Heavensward content that just assigns you more EXP. So as you play from 2.1 onwards, just assume that leveling is no longer your priority and you'll only get a minuscule amount of EXP from a Realm Reborn content. Just concentrate on playing the main scenario, doing all the dungeons and unlocking all the other content through a side quest. Does that make sense? Yeah, that does. I would agree with that. Here's another tip that really can go for whatever level you happen to be, not just level 50. What I like to do is I set daily goals or weekly goals for every character that I have. And what I do is I sort of plan out how much time I can devote to trying to achieve each goal. Maybe reaching a certain point in the main scenario or getting to a certain level. And so each day on, on whatever characters I happen to want to level or progress each day, I just make a little bit of progress on them. It doesn't have to be super quick because, I mean, let's be honest, that's how MMOs are sort of designed. That's why we have things like daily roulettes and things that you can repeat every day, every so often. That's why we have rested experience where if you log out in certain places, you can get a boost in how you gain experience for the next day. So I think putting in a little bit of time every day will really be a lot less stressful, but not only that, but you'll make more progress and you'll be slightly more motivated by doing a little bit of progress every day as opposed to doing everything all at once for one character. Doing it all at once is a very easy way to get burned out, <laughs> let me tell you. Yeah, I totally agree. The way MMOs are designed, it's easier to make slow and steady progress over time than it is to power level things. And you'll make more progress by devoting one hour a day for seven days than you will, let's say, devoting seven hours on one day. And even though it sounds lame to set goals in a video game, it really does work. You just decide what you want to focus on for that character, for wherever they happen to be. And it could be, I'll put in X amount of time per day per week, or I want to get to X point by Y time. For example, I could say I want to get Remix caught up with the main scenario before Stormbird releases, even though that's not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> I'd really have to rush. I don't think I'll have time. But if I decided that I really wanted her to, let's say, raid in Omega, that's what I would have to do. And actually, a really handy guide for those kinds of incremental goals that also gives you a bonus is the weekly challenge log. Now, the challenge log is designed to give you a bonus for doing something a certain amount of times in an in-game week. And it can be really useful to center your goals around those. One really good way that you can get experience very quickly is if you do trial roulette just once a day. It gives you a very, very short instance. And once you beat it, you know, you've made progress on your characters. 
So, so long as you're around level 50, level 50 to level 60, you can make a good sized dent by doing just trial roulette. Very, very true. Saferoth wrote in that his daily routine is to do mini catfought on all the characters, trial roulette on a few, and leveling roulette on one or two. And I also try to log in and do mini catfought on all four of my characters, in addition to jumbo catfought. And that at least makes sure that none of them are ignored. I'll get to check my retainers. And meanwhile, I have four times the chances to win the jumbo cactfight. <laughs> and get that Fenrir mount. <laughs> yeah, actually, Saferoth posted recently that he won jumbo cactfight on one of the uh, one of the low level alts. It's nice. like, <laughs> yeah, I know that's gonna happen to me one day, or at least I hope so. Like my low level alt is gonna have Fenrir, and my main won't. <laughs> Now, for RP purposes, juggling many different characters is going to be tough no matter what platform you're using. But if you're doing it in-game, it may get really tough to keep track of because unlike Tumblr or something else, chat logs are not automatically saved. So it might be a good idea to save RP chat logs for future reference if you need to keep track of where this character is in a certain storyline or interaction. For me, it's sometimes a matter of who have I met how do I know this person? Because they seem to recognize me, but I don't remember. So, yeah, it's a good idea to have notes. Yeah, it sounds super lame to have, like, Google Docs and files and everything for in-game and RP purposes. But I have two entire, maybe three. I have three Evernote folders just dedicated to FF14. <laughs> this makes it sound like roleplay's a job. <laughs> Trust well, us, it's, it about, it's about fun at the end of the day. But it's nice to have supplements to just kind of remember, I guess. Yeah. There's no shame in using online tools to organize your creativity and your fun. Right. So we hope that those tips will help you if you do decide to create an alt. I think the both of us agree it's a worthwhile pursuit. Absolutely. Before we get into our story, we would like to thank our two contributors who wrote in and helped us a whole lot with this episode, who we've mentioned before. And they are Seva Sephiroth of The Crucible and also Vegan Pete from She Heals I Tank podcast. You can find The Crucible on their website, which is www.thecrucibleffxiv.tumblr.com. And you can find Vegan Pete on his website for She Heals I Tank at www.veganpete.com slash she heals I tank. Yes, thank you to our fellow altaholics. And I hope that you listeners have learned a lot about the reasons why we put ourselves through this again and again. I highly recommend having at least one alt, but be careful, you might become an altaholic too. <laughs> Speaking of alts, let's get into our stories because I know we have one that relates to one of our alts. Every week what we do is we give our listeners an account of something that happened between this episode and the last one. It can be in character or out of character, but it just has to be something Final Fantasy XIV related because we love the game oh so very much. Yep, can confirm. I think we'll start with our first story here, which really is from both of us. And that's an update on, once again, the housing situation on Lich. Yes. So last episode, we told you that we did not end up getting the house that we wanted on Lich. The lead that we got was not successful. We did not end up getting the house. However, we ended up getting another lead from a whole bunch of people on Lich, including Morgana Brown and Ayano and Valenth Giron. I apologize if I, if I mispronounced the name. But we got another lead saying that there was another medium house that was going up for sale in Mist Ward 9. Now, this person was actually selling the house, they weren't going inactive, but the people of Lich decided that they were going to help us once again, and they very, very generously offered to help pay for the relinquish cost for the house. Now, this house actually ended up being one of the best plots, in my opinion, in the mist. And so the Sultan Sworn now has a new home in the roleplay ward, Mist Ward 9 of the Lich server, Plot 6. So if you would like to go check us out, we are still working on decoration, but we're very, very pleased to be in a ward with some roleplayer neighbors right across the street over in the Word of Love mansion. And yeah, no, it's great. <laughs> I'm very excited and, and thankful that we were able to get that little lead. 
For sure. We're a small free company full of alts. So buying a medium house was really no small feat. We cleared out everything in the chest, everything that we'd been saving up for months, and it still wasn't enough. <laughs> yeah. So after we bought this, I mean, we're broke. <laughs> we're yeah. broke. But I think it was worth it. I think it was worth it. Yeah. And the people are very happy. And let's plug the Sultan Sworn. If you would like to try getting the hang of playing an alt, feel free to join us because we are an FC that's completely comprised of alts. We know what it's like. Exactly. And if you want to try roleplay, starting with an NPC can actually have a lot of advantages because there's not this pressure of creating an original character. Right. <laughs> so if you would like to join us on the Sultan Sworn, you can always send us a message on our website. We'd be glad to have you as an addition to our little FC. And yeah, we hope you have fun, even if you do decide to play as an alt somewhere else. But you should come and try playing with us because we're fun. We definitely are. But now you see why I desperately needed to re-level all those crackers and gatherers because we're so broke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we need money. I'm working on my gatherers too. I need to work on my botanist some more. Another fun thing we did together recently was the live stream to celebrate our first anniversary of MuseCast at the end of April. That was a lot of fun for that stream, and I'm I'm very pleased with how many people showed up. I didn't expect as many people to have come and said hello as they did. Yeah, we don't stream a lot, which was evidenced by the 30 minutes of audio issues that we had to fight through, which we really apologize if you were on there and you stuck with us. Next time, Amy will probably force me to use OBS. We wanted to meet more of our listeners, take questions, and basically talk as ourselves about the history of the show, how it came about, what's our process for creating it. And we even had a little bit of fun on Gilgamesh with Scoot and Natsuki, and then we moved to Lich. I had some fun with Marova Benanimo and some of our friends from the Word of Love. They came over to the house. And dressed up as Moogles. I remember that very, yeah, very vividly. Yeah, it was before we got the medium house. So we all crashed Nanimo's small personal. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but I enjoyed it a lot. I did too. I think that was fun. I, I would like to do some more live streams together, I think. Yep. It all just depends on what would entertain you, the listeners. So if you have any suggestions of what you would like us to talk about in a live setting, feel free to reach out to us. Yeah. I guess a more personal story is something that's going on right now, actually. And as of a couple of days ago, I have been starting to work on planning a private event for a friend of mine who is going to unfortunately be going on hiatus for an indefinite amount of time, which it's always saddening. But we decided that we wanted to show how much we love her and how much we appreciate her being with us by having this little tea party sort of event. Now, initially, when we decided that we wanted to host this event, I was told, well, we'll prepare for 10 people, which I thought, OK, that's fine. That's great. We'll hold it at Scoot's Bakery. It'll be it'll be perfect. Right now, however, the amount of people that we had estimated was much too small. Because the number of people who have RSVP'd to this event is now numbering around 30 to 40 people. So right now, we are working on trying to redecorate the bakery to accommodate all 40 people on one floor. And this has proven to be a challenge. And I'm very glad that we have as many people as we do, that we're expecting as many people as we do. But if this is what my first event is going to be like, it just goes to show... How much expansion is going to be needed? <laughs> in other mm. words, I may be looking for a large house in the near future, but we'll see how things go. If anyone is selling a mansion on Gilgamesh... Anywhere, I don't care where, <laughs> please let me know, because I am—I really enjoy planning these events, but turnout's turning out to be a whole lot more than we expected. So the great part about this, though, is that this tea party is going to be a role-playing tea party. And so we have 40 people who are willing to roleplay, who don't usually roleplay a lot of them on a daily basis. So for some of these people, it'll be their first time roleplaying. And it's very exciting getting to introduce all of these people all at once to roleplay in a group setting where everybody knows each other through this one individual. That's so wonderful. That sounds awesome. 
You know what would be a great way to advertise this event? We should put it on the MuseCast community RP calendar. Well, I don't know about this event because it's a <laughs> private event, but there will be future events. So if I do have future events, yeah, I'll put those on those community calendar. I just wanted to take the opportunity to plug one of our new initiatives. It's called the Community RP Calendar because we want to create a place where people who are not on Balmung to share RP events because basically it doesn't exist. <laughs> Balmung, we think we have nothing against Balmung, but we think that Balmung has all the promotional help that it can possibly get. Yeah. There's enough of it for Balmung to go around, and so we want to help out the people who might not have as wide of a network of people to market their events with. Exactly. There's an entire Tumblr already devoted to Balmung events. However, if you are attending or holding or know about an event on any other server, we want you to send it in, and we'll create a weekly digest every Monday. Just be sure to get us the date, time, place, and contact info, preferably out of game, for the organizer, as well as a description and any flyer. And remember, in our last episode, we talked about the value of creating a flyer for your event. So, how can you get in touch with us, Emmy? Well, you can get in touch with us on our website, which is www.newscastxiv.com. You can also find us on Twitter, where our username there is at MuseCastXIV. We also have a Facebook page. Just look up MuseCast XIV there too, and you will find us. And if you want to hear more of our podcast, you can listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. And if you like what you heard and you want to give us a little bit of a thank you, so to speak, you can always donate to us either on our Patreon or our PayPal. You can find both of those on our website. Just go to the right-hand side of the page and click on the shiny buttons. Yes, they're very shiny. We would love to hear about the RP events that are going on on your server or any feedback or thoughts or anything you'd like us to read on the show. Right. Speaking of stuff to read on the show, well, I don't know that they'll be reading on the show, but I think we have a couple of guests that we would like to have on the show for our next episode. What will our next episode be? As we all know, Stormblood is coming, and with it comes a new area of Eorzea that we haven't previously discussed, and that is Alamigo. So, in order to capitalize on the pre-Stormblood hype, we've recruited some members of the Alamegan Resistance Link Shell on Balmung, and they're going to share with us their experiences as role-playing Alamegans, in addition to everything we know so far about the lore. Now, this is going to be at the beginning of June, and that same week, Stormblood Early Access will start. And we know that there will be a whole lot of information about Alamigo that we won't have talked about on our previous show. So for that reason, we're going to be making a second Alamigan episode right after that, talking about all of the things that has added on to our knowledge of Alamigan culture. That said, we won't want to spoil any of the main scenario because some people may not have gotten through the entire scenario, but we will talk about what life is like in Alamigo now that we will have been there firsthand. For sure. It's time for another two-parter. Woohoo! Though I guess after Alamigo might come Doma. Uh, and there's there's actually another area that I'm thinking of that we haven't talked about, but that several of our favorite main scenario characters are from. Hmm, where could that be? That wouldn't be Charlayan, would it? Oh, uh, yes. Yes, it would. So that's what's coming up in future episodes. However, as a heads up, the next thing we release will not be a full episode, but will be something special that we're creating for Square Enix's most recent contest. Yes, there is a Heaven Stub contest going on in which you can voice act for your favorite cutscene. And so both of us are planning on making entries, so we plan on releasing the two of our entries, I guess two weeks from now, for our next episode, so to speak. It'll be more of a, a special little insert. Yeah. I hope everybody remembers our Starlight and, and Heaven's Turn specials. Some in-character drama. This will be very similar, except we have visual accompaniment and it probably will not be quite as long as our stories. Yeah, but in order to take advantage of this special contest, that will be the next thing we release so that we have time to concentrate 
I'm making those entries while not having to do an episode at the same time. Yes, so you can look forward to all of that coming up very soon. Absolutely. So many things to talk about, and there's more stuff in the works that isn't quite solid yet, but you most certainly can look forward to it. (laughs) (laughs) So until then, adventurers, we wish you the best, and we'll see you next time. Yep, see you next time. Thanks for listening to MuseCast 14. Tune in next time, when we'll be discussing Alamigo, Part 1. Happy adventuring, and may you ever walk in the light of the crystal.